All right. Good everyone. How are you going? I'm Punchy. If you don't know me, hello, hello, and hello to everyone who's tuning in online. It's great to have you joining us tonight. Um, it's my privilege to be able to preach on this passage, and uh, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to do it. That's gold. Amen at the end of my prayer. How good was that? I love that. Uh, all right, let's pray. We'll get into it. Heavenly Father, we want to give you thanks and praise for church. Thanks for the time we can be here together. Uh, thanks for the freedom and the opportunity. It's uh, precious to us. And so we want to praise you. We ask, Father, that your spirit would be at work now, that you'd speak through me and that you'd be working in each of our hearts. Lord, we long to hear your voice. Um, we, we long to be uh, your people. Um, yeah, would you please speak to us and change us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last holidays, Tara and I celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary. Yeah. And uh, we wanted to do something nice. And so we booked a holiday in our favourite place in Australia, Burley Heads, which is, of course, in Queensland. And so, needless to say, we didn't make it to Burley. We still had a great time away, but not in Queensland. Uh, I don't know about you, but I feel like this, what must I do to get into heaven? I reckon all of us have, at some point, all of us have been confronted with the reality of life and death, perhaps this year more than ever. And even though we don't like to talk about it or think about it, we all have. And inevitably, we all wonder, what's next? Is there a life after this one? Is there a heaven and a hell? And if there is, what's it going to be for me? Where am I going to spend eternity well, the man in our passage tonight asked Jesus that very question, what must I do to get into heaven? And Jesus answers his question, but Jesus' answer is not really what you and I might expect. In fact, it, it kind of feels like Jesus gives a wrong answer. At least it kind of feels like a wrong answer to me on first reading, which makes you then question, well, do I have it right? Do I really know what you have to do to get into heaven? And I wonder, what about you? Do you really know? And do you have it right? Well, let's hear what Jesus has to say. And the conversation begins in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So a man comes up to Jesus to test him. He's an expert in the Old Testament law. And this expert lawyer comes up to test Jesus with a question. And his question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And if Jesus answers this question, we'll get an answer to our question. What must I do to get into heaven? Because it's essentially the same question. So how does Jesus answer? Verse 26, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? So Jesus throws it back to the lawyer, right? You're the expert, you tell me. And so the man says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And the expert in the law lives up to his name because it's a good answer. He says, love God and love your neighbor. It's a good answer, it's the right answer, Jesus says. Verse 28 you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So, what must I do to get into heaven? 
Love God and love your neighbour. And Jesus says, correct. Do this and you will live. But the man's not happy with this answer. He wants more. Verse 29, he wants to justify himself. And so he then asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? So he wants limits. He wants guidelines. He wants to narrow this definition. It was great to hear from Katie, one of our U12s. Are there other U12s here tonight? couple. Good to hear from you guys. I hope the first week of exams has been good. As you see, it's a stressful time. It can be pretty wild and more than ever for our U12s this year. But perhaps not so much if you manage to get early entry. I remember doing the HSC and a bunch of people getting early entry in, in my year and I didn't think it was fair. Right? Here I was studying my guts out and they were just cruising Some of them had such a good early entry deal, they pretty much just had to turn up, write their name on the top of the paper, and voila, that's all. It's good enough. They could do the absolute bare minimum and still get in. In our passage, the the man here, he wants to know what's the absolute bare minimum? What's the least amount of effort I can put in and still check off that love your neighbour box? What do I have to do and still get into heaven. He wants this definition, he wants limitations, he wants to narrow it to the bare minimum. And to answer this question, Jesus then tells that famous story. Verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So a man is robbed and left to die. A priest and then a Levite come along. Both are respected members of society. Both could help the man, but both pass on by. They choose to ignore the man. What happens next? Well, along comes the next character in the story, and we're expecting this person to be the hero of the story, where others have got it wrong they're going to get it right. And the majority of people listening, they would have been Jews. And so they would have backed one of their own to get it right, right? Not the priest or the Levite, the aristocracy, out of touch with common man. Of course, they wouldn't stop. They're going to pass on by, but not one of their own. A fellow Jew, an average Joseph, surely they'll be the one to come along and stop for the man. But who is it that comes? Jesus says, verse 33, but a Samaritan. And this would have been a massive shock, right? Mouths would have dropped, there would have been shock, but more than that, there would have been disgust. Because how could this be a Samaritan? Because what we need to understand is the Jews hated the Samaritans. You know, Stefan mentioned this last week. It's hard for us to kind of grasp in our day. We don't like that kind of language or that kind of attitude to other cultures. But in that day, we're talking hundreds and hundreds of years of division and opposition. They were the social outcasts. They were the enemies. And so when Jesus says, verse 33, but a Samaritan, there would have been shock, but more than that, there would have been disgust. Because Jesus, how could the hero of the story be a Samaritan? But the shocks keep coming, because what does the Samaritan do? 
Uh, Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. The priest and the Levite could have helped the man. After all, he's he's a fellow Jew, he's a countryman, he's one of their own, but they don't. The Samaritan, he doesn't have any racial, social, national ties to this person. So in that sense, he doesn't have to help, but he does. The priest and the Levite come to the man and seeing him pass on by the other side. The Samaritan comes to the man seeing him, takes pity on him, and went to him. And the Samaritan then reverses all that's happened before. He reverses the neglect, the abandonment, the evil, the helplessness. The Levite probably could have cleaned the man's wounds, but he doesn't, so the Samaritan does. The priest probably had a donkey and could have taken him into town, but he doesn't, and so the Samaritan does. And the robbers stripped and beat the man, leaving him uh, wounded and dying, And so the Samaritan bandages him up and nurses him back to life. The Samaritan reverses everything that's happened before. He brings blessing where there was evil, compassion where there was neglect, mercy where there was abandonment. He brings life where there was death. And there we have it, Jesus' famous story of the good Samaritan. Now, how does Jesus then apply the story? Verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man? who fell into the hands of robbers. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. You see that he can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. He says, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. So the man's question was, remember, who is my neighbour? And Jesus says in his answer, it comes out, it's not who is my neighbour, but you are to go and be the neighbour. Go and do likewise. Go and be like that Samaritan. Go and be the neighbour, showing compassion and mercy to those in need. So what do we learn from this story? I think there's two things. Firstly, we are to go and be the neighbour. The man's question, it was, who is my neighbour? And Jesus' answer shows the man had the wrong question. It's not who, looking for limitations, looking for this narrow definition but it is how. How can I go and be the neighbour? So how can you and I go and be the neighbour? Well, in the story, we see that being a neighbour means showing compassion and mercy to anyone in need. It's not ignoring needs. It's not offloading them for someone else to deal with, but it's asking, how can I love others by seeking to meet their needs? in the same way that we might love ourselves by seeking to meet our own needs. We're to do that for others. It's as simple as that, showing mercy and compassion to those in need. But at the same time, it's not so simple, is it? Because in the story, what comes out is that Jesus isn't just saying to be the neighbour when it's easy, or to this group of people who you like or who you know, No, he says, be the neighbour to your enemies, 
to those who might oppose you, to the outcast, uh, the marginalised, the vulnerable. And to make it even more extreme, he says, be the neighbour no matter what, even if it costs you time and money, even if you have to cross social, racial, religious, economic boundaries, even if it means putting your own life at risk. That's what we see in the story, isn't it? The Samaritan spent his own time and money to nurse this guy back to life. The Samaritan crossed racial, religious, social boundaries to go to him. And the Samaritan put his own life at risk going to him. The same robbers that attacked the man could be there ready to attack him too. The man wanted limits. He wanted to know this narrow, bare minimum, but Jesus says, no, there are no limits. You are to be the neighbour unconditionally. But now this raises an even bigger problem for us, because do you remember the man's original question? It was, how, how, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to get into heaven? And if the answer to that question is to go and be the neighbour, and if that's to friends and enemies, when it's easy and when it's costly, without limits, without conditions, well, who of us has actually done that or could ever do that? And if that is God's requirement or or standard to get into heaven... Well, what chance do we have? What hope do any of us have of getting into heaven? And this problem, I think, then brings us to what is the second lesson in this story. And it's this. Jesus came to be our neighbour. Like the Good Samaritan, Jesus came to look for us, find us and to save us. Now, this week I was catching up with a mate who lives in Melbourne, He's been doing it real tough. It's been scary. It's been heartbreaking. It's been exhausting. And even now, it feels like there's no end in sight. Uh, This year, there's been a helplessness that I think many of us have experienced as we've faced coronavirus. In our part of the world, we've actually got a lot to be thankful for. We've been spared the worst of it. And yet, it's still affected us. There's been fear and frustration uncertainty, but as horrible and as disruptive and destructive as coronavirus is, sin is far worse. Not everyone will get coronavirus, not everyone will be affected in the same way, but everyone is infected with sin. And we've seen the way sin affects people and our world in the way that people have responded to this virus, this crisis. We've seen the selfishness, we've seen the destructiveness of sin, we see it out there, and yet at the same time we can see it right here, can't we? It's in us, it's in you, it's in me, that same selfishness, that same sinfulness infects us all and its consequences are eternal. And against that deeper, darker, far more dangerous plague of sin, we are helpless. We are completely powerless against it. We need someone to come and save us. 
We need someone to come and be our neighbour, to be that Samaritan, to look for us, to find us, to save us. We need Jesus. See, just as a Samaritan crossed all boundaries to get to that man, Jesus crossed all boundaries to get to us, leaving the glory and perfection of heaven to come to us as one of us, taking on flesh, God becoming a man. And just as the Samaritan was the hated and the the despised one, well, Jesus was the hated and despised one, ultimately crucified on a cross in our place for our sin. And just as the Samaritan went to the man, found him and saved him, so Jesus comes looking for us, seeking us to save us. And having been found and then saved by Jesus, he then calls us to go and follow his example. Go and be the neighbour, just as Jesus came to be the neighbour for you, we are to go and do likewise. Be the neighbour, showing compassion and mercy to others. That's the key to this parable of the Good Samaritan, right? That's the only way you and I will be able to go and do likewise, go and be like the Samaritan, Go and show compassion and mercy to friends, to enemies, without fear, without guilt, when it's easy, when it's costly, without limits, without conditions. It's to first see that at one point, every single one of us was that man lying by the side of the road, stripped, beaten, broken, helpless, dead in sin, an enemy of God, and yet our God didn't choose to pass on by. He he didn't choose to just leave us to our own destruction. No, our God chose to come to find us, to give his life to save us. Not because we deserved it, not because of anything we've done or could ever do, but because of his compassion and mercy. He is the one who first had mercy on us. And having received that mercy and compassion, grace and love of God, that's what then transforms our hearts to enable us to want to go and show that same compassion and mercy and grace and love of God to others. Because it was our God who first came to us. And so we now go to others, not out of guilt, but out of gratitude, not out of fear, but out of thankfulness for what our God has done for us. It's his compassion, it's his mercy first poured out on us that then compels us to go and be the neighbour, showing compassion and mercy to others. Let's wrap it up. Remember the man's original question? It was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to get into heaven? And the answer is this, you must put your trust in Jesus Christ, the good Samaritan who came to be your neighbour, to look for you, to find you, and to give his life to save you. And having put your trust in him, he then calls you to go and do likewise. Go and be the neighbour, having compassion and mercy on others without limits, without conditions, just as he first had compassion and mercy on you.
without limits, without conditions. He's good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to give you thanks and praise for your compassion, your grace, your mercy for us. Oh, we praise you, our God. We confess we don't deserve it. We confess we live our lives so easily centred around ourselves, seeking to meet our own needs, often brushing aside the needs of others, and also neglecting you, our Creator, our God. We are sorry. We thank you so much for your mercy, your compassion, your grace, Lord, that you wouldn't just pass us by, you wouldn't leave us in our sin, but you would choose to come. You would send your Son, and in your mercy, you would seek to save us. We thank you for Jesus, that he crossed all boundaries to come to us, that he put his life up there on the cross, giving it in our place for our sin so that we can be forgiven and saved. And we thank you that this is a gift of grace. We know there's nothing we've done to deserve it, nothing we could do to repay you. And yet, in your love and in your mercy, you freely offer us salvation in him. We give you all the thanks and praise. Father, and we ask that you'd be transforming our hearts. Let that mercy and compassion and love transform us so that when we see those in need, we would go and be their neighbour. And we would do that out of gratitude for you, not out of guilt, to honour you and to point people to your goodness and your mercy. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.